Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you again, Nick, for the bruschetta and the vegetables. And thank you, Corrine, for the lovely decorations. And so I know a lot of you came in and I enjoyed watching your faces. As you came in, wondered, what's going on? Where am I supposed to sit? Anywhere is fine. And while we're going through this series, feel free to partake of some of the pastries. Now, we are going to be celebrating communion later. The bread in the middle um, with the grape juice in the middle is going to be used for the communion. But you can definitely enjoy the carrots, celery, bruschetta, all those things right now. Think about this. When Christ was sharing and speaking to his disciples, they were probably doing this. They were probably eating. They probably were not sitting in chairs. Well, I know they weren't sitting in chairs. They were probably on cushions, sitting at a table, kind of reclined at that table as he was speaking to them, right? Now, that would be weird for us to recline on pillows at tables, but we're sitting here at chairs. But just know that even though this feels awkward maybe to you, like this isn't what I usually would do on church Sunday, it probably is what was actually happening A long time ago when Jesus was interacting with his disciples. So sometimes it's good to get out of our comfort zone and be reacquainted with how natural the gospel was presented to the people at that time. Now, last week, we began a five-part series that is called Surprise the World. It's taken from Mike Frost's book called Surprise the World. And last week, we were challenged to start creating a habit. Remember, what we're doing here is trying to develop what we call missional habits. And when we talk about missional, we just mean habits that are extending ourselves outward. And last week, we talked about blessing three people, one of them whom does not come to your church here. So I want to ask you guys, how did you guys do last week? Did you guys have a good week? Did everyone do just that? Did everyone fulfill the three parts? Anyone not? Come on, you don't have to. Okay, a couple people admitted. Thank you for your honesty. I was panicking. Yesterday, I finally fulfilled my last one where I had to bless someone who didn't come to the church. It's been a busy week and I had to do a training lesson. And so I gave one of the callers that I used to the person because I, I had to get it in right before Sunday. It's like, I got to do, I can't fail. I'll get up there and tell everyone I failed. But now I just kind of told you I failed anyway. 
Remember, what we did was supposed to be a beginning of a practice. It wasn't just, oh, last week, this is what we did. It's supposed to be something that we do every week, that we start developing a habit of extending ourselves to bless other people. And again, the whole idea is to surprise the world. Remember, a habit is an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. It's something that you just do because it's a part of how you live. And what we're trying to do is develop habits that are in line with the gospel and as Christ presented the gospel. And blessing was definitely one of those. And we're going to continue that today. You know, the idea of blessing someone should not be an unusual thing. It should be a common thing. We have been blessed by God, at least those of us who are following Christ and understand forgiveness and understand the grace that has been extended to us and understand mercy and understand that we get to have this deep relationship with the living God. The idea of blessing should be something that is a part of our lives. And we need to maybe start changing these things from being out of the ordinary to being ordinary. I just finished reading Bob Goff's new book, Everybody Always. And he has this quote in his book, and I love it. It says, we don't need to call everything we do ministry anymore. We just call it Tuesday. That's just what we do. It's not a matter of ministry. It's just Tuesday, and Tuesday includes ministry. It includes blessing. We don't go out on mission trips anymore. We just go places and bring love with us wherever we go. It's not a special thing. It should be a normal thing. This is what it's like to live in relationship with God as he's revealed himself through Christ. Blessing should flow from our lives. Ministry should be a Monday, Tuesday thing. It should be a thing that happens all the time. And as we made that effort last week to bless people, we want to continue in developing another habit. And I want you guys to start by finishing this sentence. Or how would you complete the sentence? The Son of Man came... Dot, dot, dot. Now, there are three ways that this is fulfilled in Scripture. Did any of them come to mind? The Son of Man came. You read the book, so you can't share. <laughs> yeah. Not to condemn the world. Well, Jesus did say that in John 3, but that's not one of the ways where it says that he came. Anyone? Yes, Nally? To serve, right? Okay, Grandpa Bob. Okay, we'll, we'll go from there, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save that what was lost, right? Those are the two most common, but there's a third one that we don't often think about. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. You see, the first two give us the purpose of why Jesus came. The third one actually gives us how he did it. He came eating and drinking. He came interacting with the people that he was around. Now, last week we gave a little brief explanation about the Emperor Julian and how he had these issues with the Christians. Because they were being so kind, they were blessing people that 
so many people began to follow after them. And so they were going to try and copy what the Christians were doing, but failed. And, and as this was happening, he actually wrote certain things to some of his other governors. And one of the things in his writings, it appears, he said, uncertain that the name of the gatherings were, whether they were love feasts, what they were doing, they have many ways of carrying it out, and hence they call it by many names. And so they would get together and they would have the Lord's table. They would celebrate the Eucharist. They would have a love feast. They would get together and eat. And around AD 112, Pliny the Younger, the Roman governor, said that he was now in the area that's now Turkey. He wrote a letter to the emperor Trajan, I think that's Trajan, to ask counsel about how do we deal with these Christians? How are we supposed to deal with this church? Because he reported that they would meet on a fixed day in the morning to sing responsibly to Christ as to God. Later in the same day, they would assemble again and partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. And what he means by that, it wasn't sacrificial. It wasn't like some big idolatry ceremony that was commonplace at that time. If you're with us on Wednesday nights as we're going through the book of Revelation, we talk a lot about how so much of the culture was around pagan worship. But here these Christians are just getting in, together and having these ordinary meals, eating. There are other ancient references to the Eucharist, and they call them so many different things, and they all oftentimes take place together. They would get together, they would eat, they would get together, and then they would remember the Lord's table. But it was always around food, gathering at this point. And that is the point. The point is that eating has been a central Christian practice from the beginning of our movement. And get an amen, right? Isn't that like, isn't it so nice to know? And I feel like this is where my Italian roots were so close there, you know, to what was happening there. Because food has been so much a part of my life and it is a part of our lives. What is, a question for you guys to talk amongst yourselves here for a second. What is your favorite holiday and is food a big part of that holiday? If so... What food? Go ahead and talk to each other for a little bit, your table. Remember, you guys are here. You're part of the same community. You can talk to each other. So it's interesting to see some of you just break out in laughter as you start talking about food. And seeing the countenance of your faces, it's kind of fun. So are there anything special? Let me hear a shout out is... What's a, a holiday that you really like and food's a big part of it? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, what do you guys have for Thanksgiving? Is it turkey? Turkey. Anyone have something else for Thanksgiving besides turkey? Anyone else do tamales? Tamales. And what else? Yeah. Tamales on that table. All right. Any other holidays? Christmas. Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, it's an American holiday. What else? Easter used to be a big holiday. Yep. Frittata in the morning. I remember that. Oh, man. That was good. Right? Food is such a big part of how we celebrate. It's something that 
goes with that territory. And what it does is it actually brings people together, and that's what it's supposed to do. I think it's so telling that Jesus' critics, the Pharisees, that they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard because he ate with the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. And because he was always eating with them, which is a sign of closeness, it's a sign of what you do with people who you're trying to be close. It's what you do with family. It's what we do on holidays. It's what they would do with the people they were close to. They saw that and they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, says that he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the so-called drunkard and glutton gave his final words to his disciples, and it was to eat and drink. That is so cool. That is just subversive. That is in your face. You're saying this about me, but this is exactly what I came to do. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Michael Frost writes in the book, he says, The table ought to be the primary symbol of Christian gathering. It represents hospitality, inclusivity, generosity, and grace. You see, when you're at the table... You're sharing your common humanity. It is something that you do. Every time you get together and you sit and you eat with one another, it is a time where you nourish yourselves from the same table. Now, you would think that every time we got together, it was to listen to a sermon or to sing, because that's what we do now. But that's not what Jesus said. When you get together, you are to remember by eating and drinking. And I believe that it's because of how it connects us. It forces us into dialogue. It forces us into sharing and talking. It it lets down some of the barriers or it's supposed to. Right? Even as you guys came in, you sat together at a table with someone you didn't know, it felt a little unusual. I don't usually go and sit with people I don't know. Where am I supposed to sit? All these kinds of things feel a little bit un- uneasy. But the whole point was to disarm us, was to bring this kind of community in focus. We're going to watch a short movie by Mike Frost, the author of the book and the series that we're doing, just talking about this. Our second habit, eat. I will eat with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of our church. It is amazing when you step into these kinds of situations, what takes place. It's not, even as we talked about last week, that those who went out on mission trips to convert were not as successful as those who went out on mission trips to bless. That those who went just to bless actually saw more conversion take place because there was more relationship involved. Eating is a big part of relationship. Last Yesterday, 
Yesterday morning, Corinne and I went to a birthday party. It was for uh, Ted's uh, son's son, his grandson's birthday party. And we sat at a table with people we did not know, and we ate, and they were the most amazing people. And the things that they were involved with. And one was an artist, and she used to do metalworking, but she's retired from that. And so now she's running a sober living home out in Riverside. And we had so much fun having a conversation. We learned so much from her just having that conversation. There is so many things that can happen when you sit at a table and talk with someone. That is where a lot of important conversation takes place. Instead of preaching to someone, try sitting down and eating with someone and see how the conversation develops. See what happens just as you communicate. I'm amazed at how close I have gotten with some people when I just go out and eat regularly with them. Sometimes that's what Corrine and I like to do, right? It's like, let's just get away. Let's go and get something to eat. Why? Because it gives us a time to, to talk. It gives us time to communicate. And it can do the same thing with you and other people. The table lets us know who we are and who we come from, right? Even as you guys were talking about your favorite holiday, and some celebrated Thanksgiving with turkey, others celebrated it with tamales, right? Same holiday, different families, different tables, How fun is that to mix that up, right? And to, after Thanksgiving family dinner, you share some of your turkey, they share some of their tamales, right? What a great best of both worlds there. You're coming from two different places. You start to see where you've come from. You share the values that you have. At the table, we learn what it means to be family, how to live responsible and loving relationships, When you sit together and you have those conversations, it's amazing how sometimes you can't make conversations happen with your family. It has to happen naturally. And it's amazing how many times it will naturally happen when you sit together at the table. All of a sudden you're talking and I know family dinners aren't as common as they used to be but it's something that can still happen where you have an engagement with one another. At the table, we celebrate the beauty and express solidarity with those who are broken, those who are hungry. We are with them in that situation wherever they are in life. At the table, it's the great equalizer in relationships. When we eat together, we engage in our common humanity. We both need nourishment. We are in need of the same things. We are at the same level. And that's an important thing. We get to share stories. We get to share our hopes. We get to share our fears. We learn about each other as well as we learn about ourselves. And so we need to develop a habit of eating. Now, how many of you go out to eat a few times a week? Okay. How many of you eat three times a day? Okay. So we're asking you to eat three times a week. If you're eating three times a day, that's 21 times you go to eat. We're asking three of those times to be with someone else and to be with 
someone else who does not go to the church. You can even do them all together at one. You could have friends and people who you don't know who don't come to church, and you can kill all those birds with one stone, right? You could do it one meal and have it there if you would want to. But we go out and we eat pretty regularly. And, and so that shouldn't be difficult. And you can make it an elaborate, fancy dinner. You can make it something quick. It could be coffee and a donut or baguette or whatever it is that you're eating. It doesn't have to be a big meal. It's just sitting down and taking the time. Yesterday, I went and got a coffee at Starbucks, and I saw someone there who I see regularly, and I started talking with him. And I just sat down. I didn't have anything to eat. I just had the coffee, and he had something he was eating. And I started asking him how things going. He said, well, my son was incarcerated, and this is going on. I asked him about that. Well, where is he? When is he getting out? What happened? And I sat there for probably 45 minutes just talking to him about where he was and what was going on. And I intentionally did that because I'm going through this series, and I've got to do those things, because otherwise I'll look bad in front of you if I don't, right? I mean, serious, I'm just being honest. It's like, well, I better practice this if I'm going to tell everyone else to do that. I can't tell you how refreshing it was for me to actually show interest in someone else. It was healthy for me. I needed it, because I am all about myself all day long. And I bet you are too. I won't make you raise your hand, but we usually are. And it takes effort to extend ourselves and to listen to someone else and their story. And it helped me. And he thanked me for taking the time to listen to him. That's what happens when we make that time for someone else to sit down to eat, to do these kinds of things. That is our second habit. Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford in their book, Right Here, Right Now, a book that we went through in a book club we did, gosh, I don't know, four years ago, I think. It said, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. I should get an amen from that, right? Amen. I'm all about the kingdom. Don't you understand that this is how the church began at a table eating? This is what Jesus did. This is what drew people to him as he listened to them and as they listened to him. This is what the kingdom of God looks like where Jesus presented himself to other people. Goes on, he says, if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we could literally change the world by eating. That seems so up my alley, right? I could so eat my way into the kingdom of God. What's so funny? I know it looks like it. I'm planning ahead. 
But do you see this is something that we do? This is something that's a part of our life. This is something a part of celebrations. We have birthdays and we have food and we have birthday cake. And we have Christmas and we have Easter and we have Thanksgiving. We're going to have Fourth of July and we're going to have food and we're going to have barbecues. And we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers. We're going to sit down with people and we're going to eat. And that is where life takes place at the table. Let's make it happen. Now, a typical Roman feast would start with the person of importance sitting at the head of the table. And then there would be a succession. The host and his wife would be there with the important person, the guest of honor. And then the important people to the least important would move down the line. And so there at the top of the head of the table would be guest of honor, and then everyone else who wasn't as important would be further away. And if you really weren't important, you'd be at the other table, right? How many had a kid's table at holidays, right? Okay. You know, you're at the kid's table, right? That's where all the fun was, by the way. And so there was this hierarchy, this, you know, we're important, we sit here, and then there is everybody else that is going down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 28, Paul chastises the Corinthian church because they were really mimicking the Roman feasts. Verse 17, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. You see, the love feast was beginning to look like the Roman feast. Oh, we have, you don't. And he says, and you're calling this the Lord's Supper? It isn't. Because this doesn't look anything like Jesus to allow someone with nothing to go hungry while you feel yourselves, while you eat and get drunk. He didn't even rebuke them for getting drunk. He just said, Don't you, can't you do that at home? Why would you do that in front of other people? I think that's interesting. Verse 23, I'm not going to comment on it. I just thought it was interesting. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Paul seems to believe that observing the 
Lord's table and Christ, what he did, remembering his sacrifice for them, would counter the impulse to segregate and develop cliques. Paul seemed to believe that if you would just remember what Jesus said and did, it would start tearing down these divisions among you, this class structure, this ethnicity division, Gentile, Jew, that it would start coming together because at this table, we are all beneficiaries of Christ and what he's done. And he believed that that table was their way to bring reconciliation to the problems that were happening in that church. And so he challenged them that when you're going to sit down and eat, examine yourself. This doesn't mean see if there's any deep sin in your heart that you need to confess so that you can get it out before the Lord. Otherwise, you're in danger. Because how many of you heard that, right? And then it's like, oh, no. Am I forgetting something? What is that deep sin that I've got to repent? That wasn't the problem. The problem was, are you neglecting anybody who is in the table? Are you not acting like Christ did to others? Examine if you're eating in a worthy manner. Worthy to what? Worthy to what Christ did and the example that Christ left. That is what we're to examine. Because that is the example that we have to follow in. Examine yourself, not to see if there's deep sin, but if you're excluding anyone from the table, neglecting, because Christ did not neglect you. Think of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 9. His meal with a sinful tax collector turned into repentance, turned into conversion. Mike Frost says in his book, conversion flowers from communion. That's beautiful. Conversion flowers from communion. Paul, when he speaks about elders in Titus 1.8, as well as in 1 Timothy 3, he says, he must be hospitable. An elder must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Why is it so important for a person who's a leader in the church to be hospitable? Because it's a characteristic of Christ. It is how we communicate in hospitality. And the table is one of the strongest ways that we can present that kind of hospitality. In the book, Mike talks about a Baptist minister who in his neighborhood, a gentleman would have margarita and poker night. And because the Baptist minister didn't drink, he would not go to the poker night. The guy claimed to make the best margaritas in town, and he asked him, Mike asked him, did you ever go? And he goes, no. And he asked him, how many conversations have you had with this man about Jesus or about anything of importance? He goes, well, none. How many people have talked to you about your faith or anything regarding your faith? And he says, none. And he challenged him, well, challenge you to go to the meeting. You don't have to drink, but just go and partake of the night with the guys. And so he did, and the guy almost 
fell on his face, right? He's like, oh, the Baptist minister's here. And true to his character, he did not drink, right? He just had soda while the guys were drinking margaritas. But he had a conversation with just about everybody there about faith in Christ and what he did. And he developed a relationship with them just by going and playing poker on margarita night. Does that not look like Jesus was Zacchaeus? Does that not look like Jesus? And they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard because of the people he hung around with. But we get so concerned about image and we forget that this table levels everything. We are all the same right here. What is that? We are all in need. We need the food to live and we need what God gives to give us life indeed. And so the challenge is before us, just like it was before the people there, to remember what Christ has done and to allow that to be how we live and move forward together. We're going to partake of communion together right now. There is a bread there on the center portion and there's a bowl with the grape juice. What you can do is take the piece of bread, you can break it off and you can dip it into the bowl and then you can partake of it together. Is Alex here? Alex is going to be sharing a song with us as we do this. If you're out there, Alex, you can hear me. What I want you guys to do is I want you to take some time and I would like for you guys, if you feel comfortable, to share maybe at the table a prayer request. You don't have to pray for those things. Just say, I would like prayer for this. And as we each share that request, what we're doing is asking other people to be a part of our lives with something that's important to us. And when everyone has maybe given that prayer request, you can again take the bread, dip it in the juice. Remember that this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ given for you that we are all in need. Let's allow God to fill this need in our lives and let's share in that need together. If you're still praying, by all means, you can continue praying. But I want to put this challenge out to all of us this week. We're going to go through and sing this song one more time. If you're like me, there has to be a developing of new habits because we've got some old ones that are just needing to be broken down. And maybe one of those habits is extending ourselves to others, giving ourselves away, helping us to maintain an attitude like Christ where eating is normal. And so let's sing this song again and let's allow it to be something that shapes us. Let's allow it to be a prayer to God open for the change that he wants to do in each of us. Let's sing it again. How many are open to have the Lord take them and use them where they're at? You know, I don't want... To be a part of a church, I want to be a part of a movement that Jesus began a long time ago. And it began at a table with people he called friends, with people that he loved. 
I want to change the world by eating. I want to change the world by loving. I want to change the world by caring like Jesus cared. This week, bless three people. One of them who doesn't come to church. This week, eat with three people. One of them that doesn't come to church. Let's develop a habit. Let's be open to change our habits and extend ourselves to be like Christ. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.